Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Well, God bless you, church. What a privilege and an honor it is to be here and to worship with you this morning on this this Palm Sunday. Uh, You uh, don't have the privilege of having my family here who was here for the first service, Uh, but I am a husband of Ashley and then three awesome children. I have a 17-year-old named Caleb and two daughters, Adeline, who's 15, and Emily, who is 12. And what a delight it is to be here on Sunday, but especially on Palm Sunday. And I want to tell us, if, if, if as believers, we cannot get excited this week then we really have something wrong. This is the epic of Christian and Christianity. This is the week that we celebrate that our Savior bore our sin and our shame at the cross, but he didn't leave it there. He rose victoriously on Easter, and so we prepare for Easter Sunday, the, the pinnacle of our faith, the pinnacle of what I want us to see this morning, the peace that we have with God. And so we're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 19. I I know as a church that you've studied through the book of Luke, and I believe uh, you got to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to pick up this morning, and we're going to skip ahead a little bit in Luke chapter 19 as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And again, what I want us to see in this moment is the peace that Jesus comes to bring, peace between sinful man and holy God. And for many of us, we may see... Peace is a construct, right? It's what we have for that fleeting moment on a vacation when the sun is setting and everyone is is quiet and still. This morning, for many of you, you may have already experienced the lack of peace trying to get out of the house ready for church. Why is it that Sunday is always the time that we lack peace? But I want us to see this morning that, that the type of peace that Jesus comes to bring is not the same as worldly peace. You see, worldly peace can be incredibly fleeting and fragile. And what we want to see is that Christ came to bring an eternal peace, a peace that cannot be taken and that cannot be shaken. Earthly peace, well, that can, that can easily go. I'm sure there are marriages, unfortunately, today that are filled with strife. And there's not a lot of peace in there. Parents get frustrated with their children. My children are not here to say amen, thank goodness, right? There are deadlines at work that can bring stress. And many of us may experience maybe the stress and the lack of peace of just loneliness and feeling all alone. Brothers and sisters, that's worldly peace. But the peace that we're talking about today is unwavering. It's unshakable. It's the type of peace that cannot escape you no matter what happens in this life, no matter what the sinful world brings you. The type of peace that we look at, that we see here in Luke chapter 19, is peace that we can look at our Savior and we can look at our God and we can know that we have access to his very throne room and that we are right with God because of the cross and because of Easter Sunday and the grave unshakable peace. So this morning, as we go to this passage, it's really the culmination of what Jesus had been saying all throughout his ministry. He'd been telling his disciples over and over and over again, I am going to give up my life and I am going to die. And they missed it every single time. 
They were, they were so caught up in the, in the miracles. They were so caught up in just being able to be around Jesus and the things that they were able to experience that they missed the message. Luke chapter 9, he, he says it for one of the first times. I, the, the passage is starting in verse 43. It says, all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. For a little context, Jesus has just transfigured himself to James, John, and Peter. And if you remember Peter, always willing to say something and kind of be the guy that was willing to go out, he goes, oh, this is a good thing. I'm going to build tents for all of us, and we're just going to have a big camping trip with Moses and Elijah and you, Jesus. This is awesome. They come off this mountain-high experience. And then the first thing is Jesus heals a little boy who had been uh, had, was demon-possessed. So these disciples are coming off a high. And they think that Jesus is that physical, political Messiah that they had been waiting for. He's going to come make everything right again, and he's going to make Israel great again. And we are going to have the best nation, and this is awesome. And then Jesus says this, no, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They missed everything that Jesus came to bring. So now in this passage, it's the culmination of what Jesus had been predicting. I'm going to come into Jerusalem, and I'm going to fall into the hands of men. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, riding on a colt to the praise of the people. I want us to see those three things that truly, truly show us that Luke is trying to tell us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Peace. So three revelations of Jesus as the Prince of Peace that we see here in our passage. And the first is that Jesus comes into the city of peace. Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city of peace, right? In Hebrew, the literal name was the abiding place of God. And then you see the last part of Jerusalem, Siloam, a peace. Jerusalem was a city of peace. Now, today you may look at the city of Jerusalem, and in a geopolitical sense, you may say, well, Jerusalem is anything but peace, right? You've got the Palestinians, and you got the Temple Mound, where you got the Muslims and the Jews. That's not a peaceful city. And even in the day of the Holy Week, it really wasn't a peaceful city. Jesus would be tried unjustly. He would be found unfaithfully. And then he would go to the cross in the place of a capital murderer. That wasn't peace. Oh, but on Holy Week, here's what Jesus came to do. He came to make Jerusalem truly the city of peace. When he would bear upon his body the sin of the whole world. And he would give his life as a ransom for humanity. And then on Easter Sunday, he would raise once and for all to give us complete unfettered access to the Father to bring us back to God. Jerusalem would truly become the city of peace because man would once and for all have peace with God. So first, Jesus comes into the city of peace, Jerusalem, but then second, we see he rides on a colt of peace. And Jesus gives his disciples very specific instructions here. Right In verse 30, he says, go into the village in front of you. You're going to go into it, and you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. So Jesus gives very specific instructions. And this may seem bizarre or overly specific, but what I want us to see here is that Jesus was fulfilling very specific prophecy. 
Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. Zechariah had predicted that the true Messiah would come in to Jerusalem riding on a young foal which had never been ridden. When kings came in in times of war, they were on a war horse. When kings came in times of peace, they were riding upon a donkey. Jesus comes in Jerusalem, the city of peace, on a cult of peace, saying, I am coming to bring peace. And look at the ease by which the guy gives it away, almost as if God sovereignly appointed this. Right? If somebody comes in and you've got a young cult and says, hey, the master wants it, you're not going to go, now, what master? Can you show me sign of credentials? Like we'd be making someone sign a, a waiver of release. Like if something happens to this cult, you're going to return it. But instead he goes, well, let him have it. Brothers and sisters, what I want us to see is that Jesus was in the intricate details. Even coming on Palm Sunday, he knew exactly what he was doing and he had planned it down to the exact nth of the degree. And brothers and sisters, beloved, you have a God that intricately wove you together in your mother's womb. He knew you before even one of your days was created, and he came to save you and to redeem you. And your salvation was not plan B. It was not second chance. It wasn't something that he just thought about. He didn't in accidentally enter into Jerusalem at a time where they decided, hey, let's crucify this guy. But he purposely went into Jerusalem at the right time, at the right place, to fulfill every single prophecy about him in order to redeem a sinful people and give them peace with God. We have a God that is in the intricate details of our life and of our situation. And so this morning, if you've come to church and the pressure of this world is certainly not giving you peace, I want you to know that you can have true peace with God that's unwavering and unfettered. And he intricately knows every detail, every, every tear, every pain, and every trial. We have a God that is intricately in the details. But then third, we see God comes in the city of peace, Jerusalem, upon the cult of peace, but then Jesus comes to bring the praise of peace. In verse 38, we see this. It says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and I don't want you to miss this, glory in the highest. Now think back to Luke, where you may have heard those words before, glory in the highest. If you've been in church for any time, you probably have read Luke chapter 2, the narrative that Luke gives us of the birth of Christ. And if you remember in Luke chapter 2, shepherds are, are tending their flocks by night, and what happens? A, 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 an army of angels comes, and they say what? Glory in the highest, and peace on earth, and <clears throat> goodwill with man on whom he is pleased. When Jesus is born, the angels proclaim peace on earth. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem for the last week of his life, men say peace in heaven. This is the book ends of Jesus's ministry. From his birth to his death, glory in the highest, peace on earth with men at his birth, peace on heaven as he's getting ready to give his life at the cross. Beloved, God deserves our praise glory in the highest. 
I love what Matthew's version of this triumphal entry says and that we read to our children here earlier. It says, And the crowds went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Beloved, if you're a Christ follower this morning, if you're a Christian, then you have a peace that the world cannot comprehend, and that should lead us to praise. Paul says to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus paid it all in order to give us peace with God. I don't know about you, but the last two years have been anything but what I would call worldly peaceful, right? We had a global pandemic and this nice little virus that, that kind of spread around the world. It shut down travel. Uh, for many of you, it put you in your basement for some time, uh, right? It, it, it was anything but peaceful. But if you remember, kind of as 2020 was coming to the end, we all kind of hoped and prayed that 2021 would bring like bountiful blessings. Like all of a sudden at the end of December 31st at midnight, you know, there'd just be rolling hills and birds would come chirping and, and life would just go back to normal. And certainly it didn't right? If anything, 2021 may have been more stressful than 2020. And then welcome in 2022, and we see wars and rumors of wars and lack of peace and, you know, inflation, which is just great when you go fill up your gas tank. I have a 17-year-old that asked me why gas costs so much, and we've had some great economic lessons. But, you know, it's not, it's been anything but peace. For our family, we feel like we're going through the 12 plagues, Right, we've, we've had another bout with COVID earlier in January. I was speaking at the North American Mission Board and came back and had some mystery disease um, and felt like I was, was like death warmed over. We've had ants, we've had holes in our walls, we've had leaks. And we're just waiting for the Passover, like, Lord Jesus, come, give us the lamb, let us go, right? I mean, it, it feels like anything but peace. But beloved, even through all of our trials and even through the last two years, I don't know about you, but I've had peace. I've had an unshaking, unwavering peace that's led me to praise the Lord. Because my peace is not based upon my situation. My peace is not based upon my health. My peace is not based to ants in my kitchen. And my peace is not based on water dripping down the wall. My peace is based on the solid rock of Christ Jesus. And the world does not give that peace and the world cannot take that peace away. And that leads us to praise. And that's why Jesus says, when the Pharisees come up and they say, teacher, basically rebuke your disciples, get them to be quiet. They're making a ruckus. They're upsetting the peace by praising you, Jesus. Get them to be quiet. What does Jesus say? I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Why? Because the glory of God has made himself real in Jerusalem today. The glory of God has come riding on a colt to bring peace. And the glory of God has come to bring peace to your soul as it brings praise to your lips. Isaiah chapter 55, 12 through 20, 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, Yahweh, his covenant name, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Psalm 114, verse 4, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. 
Verse 6 of 114, O mountains that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 115.6, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, beloved, do not let your situations weigh you down. Do not let the stress of life steal and rob your joy. Christ brings everlasting peace. And that causes us to bring him everlasting praise. Oh, but then we see the next part of this passage. Jesus is, comes in, they yell, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory in the highest, peace in heaven. And then Jesus comes and he weeps. Verse 41, it says, when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept overing it, saying, would you, that you, even you have known that on this day, the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Three traits of peace that come from the gospel of King Jesus. And the first is peace is zealous for the gospel. Peace is zealous for the gospel. You can be at complete peace and weep over the brokenness of your neighborhood, over your family, over your city, over our nation, and over our world. As a matter of fact, because we have peace with God, when we see sinners, when we see those that are lost without the peace of God, it should cause us to sorrow that they don't know the peace that surpasses all understanding. Beloved, peace is not indifferent to sin and pain. Jesus looks over the city and he sees the wickedness and he sees the sinfulness. And he wants them to know the peace that comes from only God. What, he says, if you had known the peace of the things that bring to make known for peace. Instead of bringing judgment or condemnation or a curse over the people, Jesus weeps tears of compassion. He's weeping these tears of compassion for the very ones that in a couple days will deny him will beat him, and will crucify him. Jesus weeps tears of compassion. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christ follower today, then you have the peace of God in your heart, in your life, and in your soul. And does that peace of God cause you to be brokenhearted for those that are lost, for those that are they're sick in their sin? The peace of God in our hearts and minds causes us to be radical and to be gospel driven and zealous for the gospel of Christ Jesus. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is the answer to the lostness of the world. And we have that hope and we have that peace. We must go and we must speak it. Because unfortunately, this world, and sometimes even those of us in Christ, we're looking for peace substitutes. Many medicate themselves on drugs or alcohol. Others try to calm their raging hearts with, with relationship or power or money. Some look for peace in exercise or, or yoga or some false religion. I love what Paul David Tripp says. He says, as a result of sin, no longer do we attach our inner peace to God, who is the definition of wisdom and power and love, and who will never, ever change. 
Now, without realizing what we have done, we begin to look for identity, meaning, and purpose in our inner sense of well-being horizontally. We look to the broken and ever-changing situations and relationships of this fallen world for our purpose and our inner rest. Things that were not designed to give us peace and over which we have no control become our replacement messiahs. We ask them to do for us what only God is able to do. You see, here's what happens. Important things like family, work, housing, money become all too important for us because they become the places we look for rest. And when they do, they not only do not give us rest, they become the reason for the endless cycle of worry, anxiety, and fear that frankly are in the daily lives of too many believers. Beloved, we know that those substitutes can never fill our lives. We know that those substitutes are fleeting. And we know that unfortunately the world is drunk on those substitutes. And so we who are zealous for the gospel must take the good news to them. Oh, what better time than this week than to preach the gospel? Not just this week, but next week and every week. Let us be zealous for the gospel. But the second trait of peace that comes from the gospel of King Jesus is that peace comes through seeking God's glory. Verse 45 of Luke chapter 19, it says that Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Jesus enters into the temple and he sees the chaos of the money changers and the merchants. This is the way Mark's gospel explains the scene. He says, they came to Jerusalem and Jesus entered in the temple and he began to drive out all those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The temple was the one place on earth where the presence of God was supposed to be displayed. And Jesus comes onto the scene and instead he sees money changers in a market. Jesus is zealous for the glory of God and he gets angry when he sees the glory of God being trampled upon. And for many of us, we may have read this passage in, the, in God's word many times or even in Sunday school heard this passage and, and what we focus on is the anger of God. I've even heard churches say, hey, you don't need to have any kind of coffee or books in, in, you know, in the lobby because we don't want that kind of scene. But what I don't want us to miss here is that Jesus was coming into the court of the Gentiles, the court of the nations. And it was Passover week. So Jerusalem was, was extra crazy and, and there were extra people there. It was a crazy, crazy place. And as Jesus comes into the temple in the court of the Gentiles, what does he find? The merchants and the money changers are blocking the people from the presence of God. And Jesus says, we've got we've to rearrange the furniture because this week I'm coming to bring the very presence of God to bear for these people and we've got to rearrange the furniture so they can come into the temple. You see, Jesus wasn't coming to clear the temple of the nations. He was coming to clear the temple for the nations so that the nations could see him. Oh, beloved, when we have peace with God, are we that zealous for the glory of God? Are we seeking God's glory first and foremost in our lives and in everything that we do and everything that we say? Beloved, we have a peace from God, but are we consumed with self? Do we disregard God's authority? Do we lack a love 
for the nations. The third trait of peace that comes from the gospel of King Jesus is that peace is found in communion with God through his word. We see verse 47, he, Jesus, was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. Jesus loved to teach. And after rearranging the furniture of the temple, he goes back in and he begins teaching. And the chief priests and the scribes, they don't like this. And they're, they're looking to kill him because he's captivating the people. The people were filled with peace and were content just to listen and hang on the words of Jesus. So all around this teaching scene is conflict. It's not filled with peace, right? Th these are leaders that are trying to crucify Jesus, get rid of him, destroy him. But yet the followers of Christ have absolute peace in the midst of chaos. Brothers and sisters, the way to have absolute peace and to cultivate that inner peace that God gives you is to hide your life in the word of God and in prayer, to commune with God daily, to come to him and to find him in his word. May we be a people who are defined by God's word, who are enthralled with studying God's word more than humoring ourselves with our smartphones and entertainment. Brothers and sisters, peace cannot be manufactured by turning off your mind and escaping the world through art and entertainment and vacation. No true peace comes into stepping into this culture filled with chaos, the chaos and the trouble of this world. With the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. We come into the chaos of this world with the Word of God and prayer and the communion of God because those cultivate our peace. So in closing and in application, how can we apply these truths this Palm Sunday with the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace? Three quick ways. One, may God's peace cause us to weep over our sin and the sin of the world. May God's peace cause us to, to be broken by our own sin and to weep over that sin and to weep over the sin of the world. Beloved, the church of Jesus Christ should be leading the charge and showing justice and mercy to the kingdom and the world because we were benefactors of God's amazing grace. We cannot sit silent when we see injustice and pain, but we must weep for those that cannot speak for themselves because we understand the infinite love of our almighty God. May it not be the world's voice or the world's doctrines which are the loudest, but may God's people speak truth and love and be the light to a world of darkness. But number two, may we be zealous for the global proclamation of the gospel. Paul tells the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he says, Working together with them then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time, now is the day of salvation. Beloved, we live in a world of great peace and great patience, which God is allowing those who have never heard the gospel to come and know the gospel of Christ Jesus. And that's such sweet mercy to rebellious hearts and to sinners. But here's a warning. That day of favor that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it will not last forever. But Jesus will return. Revelation tells us that. And it will be a day of judgment. 
And for those of us in Christ, we will stand forgiven. We will have innocence. We will have the life of Christ. For those who are not in Christ, it will be a very, very solemn day. But brothers and sisters, while it is still today, may we preach the gospel. I want to encourage you to go among the nations. Your church is taking a trip this summer to New York. Sign up for that trip to go and preach the gospel as the nations are even coming to our country. And let's pray that those nations will go back and preach the glorious gospel so that every tribe and every tongue and every nation will hear the glorious gospel of Christ Jesus. But don't neglect your neighborhoods. We run a ministry and we work with women going through crisis pregnancies. And even this last week, one of our counselors was ministering to a woman who said she had never heard the name of Jesus. In the buckle of the Bible belt here in Alabama, she'd never heard the name of Jesus. Preach the gospel. Be zealous for the gospel and for the global proclamation. We have been given a task and a great commission. We have future family members that need to be claimed among the nations. Our Father has said, go and we go. And third, may we seek the Lord daily and be filled with his contentment. Finding peace is not hoping that tomorrow will be better. True peace comes in trusting in Jesus. So daily seek him in his word. Let your soul be fed on the word of God. Be careful about naming a want as a need and putting your trust in the things of this world. Our heart must belong to a king and his kingdom while we fight our natural instinct to construct a kingdom of our own. The kingdom of this world will never give you rest because it does not have the capacity to satisfy the deepest cravings of your heart. But beloved, on Palm Sunday, let Jesus enter into your heart. Let him come and be king of your life. Trust him. Be content in him. Go to his word. Study his word. Hide his word in your heart so that you will not sin against him. And come before him. Because we have a great mediator, Jesus the Christ, who is making intercession for us before God the Father. Let us be content in the peace that God gives. But in closing, and as we get ready to sing this last song, and as the musicians come, if maybe you came today to North Shelby Baptist and you don't have that peace that surpasses all understanding. You don't know what it means to be a follower of Christ, but you want that peace. I pray that today would be the day that you give your life to Christ, that you follow him, that you dedicate your all, that you take up your cross, you deny yourself and you follow Christ Jesus. Melvin's gonna be at the front for a time of invitation and we would love nothing more than to know the new brother and sister was welcomed into the kingdom of God on this Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith who before what was set before him went to the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at your right hand. Oh God, may we be zealous for the gospel. May the peace that you give us drive us into our neighborhoods, drive us into our city and into our nation, to the world with this glorious gospel. Oh God, may we preach the gospel while it is still time. God, may we be passionate for your glory. Will we not allow your glory to be trampled upon, but will we lift you high and may you be high and lifted up in our individual lives and through our church. And Lord, we just pray that you would 
give us a thirst, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, and that we would hunger and thirst for your word. May we be people of your word, that know your word and hide your word in our hearts. Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would go with us this week, and that we would celebrate the hope of Easter. In Christ's name we pray. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.